0: it because if we give it to you you'll write confusing software and i'm like oh what makes it confusing and it's like oh well you'd have to read it and like it might be like syntax heavy and i'm like oh i don't know like i don't want any of that like like i don't like none no part of me wants someone taking those choices from me and going hey kid you're not smart enough to solve that problem and like it just it drives me insane and it makes me want to bite my fingernails off and so like. I just, I will avoid it with like all of my ability, except sometimes when I'm like, okay, the right thing to do is to like use this language because the overwhelming amount of software in that space is written in that language or there's an overwhelming number of libraries. And like, you know, Chef wrote a lot of Go, who was very successful with it. But if I was really looking at the times I had fun, it wasn't when I was writing, I didn't write very, I didn't write hardly any Go. Uh, and if I had to, I'm not sure I'd have made that same decision because I just, it drives me insane because I because I dislike that piece. And there are other people, Mitchell Hashimoto, for example, who I know loves that piece of it. He's like, yeah, I feel like that's great advice. We shouldn't do those things. People who do yeah. those things are bad people. <laughs> and, and this is not the way. And I'm like, God bless you, like go on with it. But I think it's got nothing to do with language design. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's all about like, do you want someone to tell you what's safe and good? If so, man, use a safe and good language. Do you want to be able to just do what you want to do in the way you think is best? Then maybe use one of those.
1: You, you know, well, and I think...
0: Uh, yeah, sorry, Sorry, if Adam, I can good. jump
1: in for a second. Adam, I think there was, when I when I approached Go, I think I saw uh, some things that I really liked that I hadn't seen. Like I, I, I sort of grew up on C and some Java and I liked the sort of snugness. I, I liked the the opinionatedness of Go. And then uh, t- to your point some of those opinions I just really disagreed with. So I, I, I found novelty in the in the strictures, but just like ob- objected to some of the specifics.
2: Well, and I think it's so interesting because Adam, to your point, and, and Adam, to your point about Go as well, the fact that like Rust, is, safety is so important for Rust. And yet even Rust is like, hey, here is here is actually an unsafe keyword and you can actually remove not all of these strictures, but many of them. And Rust allows you to do unsafe things in a language that that is built around safety. I mean, that is a lot of trust in the programmer. And at the same time, Rust also—I mean, Rust—I and Adam, I think I feel the same way about. You know, when I'm writing code, it's it's a part of my expression, and there's a freedom of expression there that is really important to me, and. I feel like when you've got a language like, why will you go not trust me the programmer with asserts? Like if I, yes, I can abuse them. I can abuse lots of things. And you know what I mean? It's like, it it feels like I'm not
0: being trusted with my own craft. Yeah, that's because you're not. Like, and and like Elm Elm, Elm does the same thing. Like, hey, I'd like to write like a new, like custom thing. And they're like, okay, well you can do it through ports or you can get special dispensation from the God King of Elm. And I'm like, like, as soon as I saw the like, <laughs> oh my God, I have to appeal to the God King of Elm. Like, I was like, oh, fuck Elm. Like, I can't, I can't hang out with this at all. And, and like, even though like, it's definitely speaking to me, like as an engineer, I'm like, oh, Elm, that looks really good. Like, that's like a hot tub for me. This is a catnip, but like, nope, can't do it. Cause God King has to say it's okay. And I'm like, nope, I'm out, I'm done. Can't hang out with you. Gotta go yeah there
2: is something like the god king is a turn off, isn't it I, at least for me maybe but for some people it's a turn on i
0: guess i guess that's what your point yeah for the, some people they really like it they're like oh yes please oh thank god god, god king is here god king is here to tell us what to do especially in right? go like the god king is very impressive like no part of me believes i'm a better programmer than the people who are telling me what i should and shouldn't do and go those guys are great they are uniformly uh, stellar software developers okay so <laughs> and, they, okay and 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 they might not be like like whatever in the grand pantheon of software developers i'm sure there's better software developers but like they're no slouches it's not their first rodeo like like they're they're like entitled to their opinion or whatnot you know like but oof, oof, oof.
3: but if your first rodeo so- was Plan
0: nine os <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah, that so- was their second rodeo to be fair I-
2: so this is where I do get like I feel that sometimes and okay like look I'm probably as guilty of this as anyone I think we overly lionize Unix a little bit and in that like th- there's so much that's important about Unix says the Unix, Unix
0: superhero okay is,
2: is, is, is that is that who I am you I'm just I'm just a man you're
0: many a... you're many things but yeah you are you definitely have like a fucking detrace cape.
2: Okay, but but am I – like, I hope that I have – and I probably have, like, overly lionized Unix. I think Unix is extremely important, but Unix as an actual engineering artifact was – left a lot of room to be improved. Like, a lot of room to be improved. Like, so much room to be improved that it took us, like, decades to actually get it fucking working. And, like, I mean, if you look at, like, 7th edition – like, 7th edition is, like it, – it, it's it's amazing – and it's incredible, and it's a breakthrough, and it's also, like, kind of a shitty engineering artifact that needed a lot of work.
4: Totally. Yeah, we're, so, uh, so we're talking about asserts here, right? And, like, one of the things is tearing down threads is a mess in almost every single runtime out there. And it's, like, what assert is going to go and do for you? Um, but to drop a little kind of bomb into the conversation, there's asserts in the Go standard library in the implementation right? It's just a hand rolled assert for for their own purposes. And I mean, I well, don't know yes. who wrote that wiki entry, right? I, it might be the core team, or it might just be some random person, but like, you can find a hash hash C wiki from FreeNode and just <laughs> like, it's full of stuff. Like that. So, like, is the assert you know, We we were talking earlier about like, do you want a supervisor system or a thing that takes the process down, and you could implement your assert as OS exit, which is just going to tear the process down not run any callback or anything else, or you could implement it as panic and do a supervisor. So, like, which one do you want? Or take a fucking core dump.
2: I know that, like, this is where, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Adam, this is where I do feel like I, maybe work, we're crazy because I feel that not many, not, like, the very best way to debug an errant system is to take a snapshot of system state. And de- and debug how you got into this errant state, and that snapshot system data state is called a core dump. And I feel we have failed because this is not something that many people do. I, I, have, have you totally ever tried to, to debug a Go core
3: I, dump? I, I'd like to interject and uh, mention two brief PSAs because I know we are on the Twitter Spaces cap limit, and I'd like to take myself off the PSA. And I actually think it's like such a timely moment to mention this uh, with respect to core dumps and snapshots. Um, so PSA number one is that uh, today is uh, Alan Kay's 81st birthday. Uh, wow. So Alan Kay did the small talk and also Dynabook so uh,
2: by... uh, can I say on this moment, thank you for the uh, Alan Kay's wife also wrote Tron. Did anybody know that? I learned that yesterday.
3: So there is this video that Alan Kay made to celebrate Ted Nelson's. Uh, um, there was this event that they celebrated Ted Nelson's and uh, Alan Kay couldn't make it. And uh, Steve Wozniak uh, uh, was physically present there. And instead of Alan Kay dubbed, but Alan Kay, uh, uh recorded the video and in the video there is alan Kay and alan Kay's wife and alan Kay's wife alan k's wife uh describes how tron was uh typesetted on uh alto i think or something similar to that
2: you are blowing my that. mind i thought my mind was blown when i learned this fact yesterday and you are really detonating my mind so, Tron was typeset on Alto.
3: It's something like that. Uh, it's probably the first. Uh, what is it like? The film manuscript or what? What do they call the, the ones that they type uh, in monospace? Uh,
2: right in the so I, you actually I even know the scene they're talking. So for, I I don't think Tron's a great movie. I've never watched know,
3: do, Tron, so that's like not, the weird thing about it.
2: <laughs> like the light bikes are awesome, but Adam, have you? When was the last time you watched Tron? Me either. Either
0: either Adam never.
2: Adam Jacob, you are Sean.
0: So many times when I was (laughs) a, um, one of my earliest memories was like in like a daycare when I was like pre first grade and they would take us to the movies like twice a week. And because it was clearly a very different era and (laughs) And, oh, okay. and like, and Tron was the only movie for, like, months. And so, like, that, that is burned into my early memories the same way that, like, Mount St. Helens exploding is burned into my memory.
2: It, is there a way that I can be assured that you and I will be in the same Gen X retirement home, Adam? Because I, I just, I, I, I could, this story warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Nima, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you on on Tron, although you uh, because I know you got you had something else you wanted to say. That is just that is amazing though. I can't get over. So all right, so Adam, I don't think Tron is that good a movie though, is what I wanted
0: to. Uh no no, I mean right. like canonically good as a film. Like I, I mean, way ahead it's of its time be. in in visual effects or whatever. But like totally. But like you know, was Mary was like bread Knobs and broomsticks a very good movie? Not really, but it did have like. <laughs> Angela Lansbury and a bunch of like knights, you know, like it's pretty good. And there's like that weird animated segment in the middle where they like play soccer. It's pretty cool. So, so I guess like,
3: my, I guess my stack is pretty limited. So if you want to pop the, pop the <laughs> yeah. trend topic, uh, we get Sorry. Back to Alan Kay's wife. So <laughs> Alan Kay's wife in, in Ted Nelson's, uh, in the video that Alan Kay made uh, to celebrate Ted Nelson. Uh, Alan Kay's wife uh, uh, is uh, laying on the ground holding a copy of uh, Computer Lib Dream Machines, which is a book that Ted Nelson wrote and is very celebrated. And uh, it's like a double book. So it's shot in two scenes. Uh, Alan Kay's wife is laying on the ground, reading it from left to right and then and uh, it, it, you gotta watch the video. So, in any
2: case, it's like, it's like, so, it, it, it and comes... that is in Tron. Alan Kay's wife is also, she didn't really write Tron, but she's actually in Tron.
3: I don't know about that, but it just it, it happens to be that the story about typesetting Tron was how Alan Kay's wife and Alan Kay met.
2: Adam Jacob, did you know this? Oh, so that's no. Why... no, 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 no. I mean, all. I mean, it, it, your mind has to be blowing and up on this. And yeah, I okay.
0: really, yeah. really like Alan <laughs> Kay. Like, I so feel It's like really I'm... not
3: a video that Alan Kay made for Ted Nelson, it's a video that they made to say, thank you, Ted Nelson, that you are pretty much the reason that we got to know each other. Because apparently, Ted Nelson also had to do something with the Tron script or something. Alan, yeah. Alan, yeah. Alan Kay
0: is the perfect example, though, of the anti-Go. Like Alan Kay, like small talk, everything was open. And that's what made it great. It was like, yeah, you could do crazy stuff. And then, like, the crazy stuff could destroy the whole thing. But, like, but yeah, interesting. But boy, like, the art of it was like fully expressed, you know? Like, Alan Kay was never going to be like, oh, don't do that. That's too artistic. Like, that's too out of the bounds. Like, yeah. And anyway.
3: Uh, I guess, yeah, I don't know like how to wrap the first PSA up, but uh, so happy Alan K's 85th birthday to everybody <laughs> who celebrates Smalltalk and uh, Snapshots and uh Dynabook and D and Swift Playgrounds. Uh, and the second PSA is that uh, today is the uh, tax deadline day, so if you're uh, fi- one. Fi- fi- one filing an amend did. or something, <laughs> uh. Uh please do that. And like, I would take myself <laughs> off from the uh, speakers because like somebody else should probably join it. Nima,
2: so. uh, yeah, those are two very good PSAs. I do love the fact that you're like, look, I'm with a, a bunch of software engineers, so you got to get these in the right or priority order. And the top priority is like, we got to talk about Alan Kay's 81st birthday. And then like, yeah. Well, I it was like, well, you it.
3: folks were talking about the snapshots on Core Doms, and I was like, a small talk is somewhat relevant here. So I so
2: got- I. I ran across and then, Nima, thank you so much for expanding on the the role of that Tron introduced Alan Kay to his wife. The um, I ran across that fact just yesterday in the I'm reading the Friendly Orange Glow by Brian Deer. Have you read this, Adam? On on Plato? No, I haven't. It's an amazing book. I got to say, it is it is well written, and the Plato history is crazy. It is just like internet alternate timeline. Um, this, 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 do you know anything about Plato? No, no, this is, very little. So, the, so, so this is the, the system developed at, at the the University of Illinois um, in the in the seventies, and is basically a network system that is quite literally like fifteen years plus ahead of its
0: time. Um, I don't think we caught it until the, Khan Academy.
2: The, 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 right, right. No, that's right. So, what Aaron is saying is like that we did not get to the point where. Plato, so Plato was actually designed to be a pedagogical system, in part because that's the way they could get funding for this stuff, and the, just like breakthrough display technology. So they had the 512 by 512 at a time when, like, I mean, that was way, way ahead of anything else, Plasma technology. Um, and anyway, this book, The Friendly Orange Glow, is, is um, about, at this point, maybe three quarters of a third. And I knew about Plato from reading about, uh, about CDC, um, the about control data. Um, and their very strange CEO. Um, but anyway, that's how I ran across the, the uh, We'll put a link to that in the in our Twitter Space show notes. But highly recommended. It. It's a very good book.
5: Uh, uh, you you just blew my mind with with the Plato reference. I I worked on Plato back in in the uh, what early eighties, late seventies. I'm an old. Oh. I don't even know why I'm on this call, with you guys. I love you. You're all so passionate. That's why I just like to listen, but <laughs> Brian, you just blew me away.
2: Uh, no, Bob, you blew me away. So tell me. So tell me about it. How did you get exposed to Plato? Tell me all about it.
5: Oh my God. Well, so um. <laughs> oh,
2: did Twitter Spaces mute you, Bob? Is why okay, I'm back. I, okay. uh, so okay.
5: high school in the late seventies, right? Um, and my computing experience is a Ristus PDP eleven, which we would like dial into it three hundred baud with a you know, deck writer teleprinter. Um, but uh, I I completely got hooked on computers in eleventh grade through this experience and I was an electronics geek even before that and stuff. But anyway.
2: And Bob, where where did you grow up? Where are you going to high school?
5: Wilmington, Delaware.
2: Wilmington. Oh, okay. So this is the University of Delaware system, this is actually. The
5: University of Delaware Plato system that I'm yeah. to, but but the University of Delaware also hosted a a time sharing system for all the high schools in the state of Delaware, and that's where I really got my start on computers. You know, it was like some math class where it's like, okay, you can you know write a basic program to print out prime numbers or something and like you know my second day on the thing I was like how do I like hack into the operating system and figure out all the system calls
2: um, so have you read Brian Deer's book it came out about two years ago no what book it's called the friendly orange glow you're gonna I mean oh yeah so
6: it,
5: it, yeah I, I I will check it out for sure
6: hey, hey so, Brian uh, Tom here I, hey Tom I have a copy of the book that I haven't managed to read yet, but I did get to use a Plato Terminal way back around 75 or 76. Um, that had it at Cornell, and I was visiting my brother there. And,
2: of course. got Tom, it's like, if, is this the same brother is this a different uh,
6: brother? <laughs> brother number 17 or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, one of the cool things about the Plato Terminal, it was, you know, there was limited bandwidth even though they had the dot matrix screen. And and I think Cornell's host was actually somewhere else, probably Illinois. So they just had the terminal. But some of some of the terminals had a facility where you could feed thirty-five millimeter slides into it and, and the program could select to display a slide.
2: That's the PLATO four terminal, has that. Yeah, they talk about that quite a bit. Um so that's very and I and so Tom, when you saw this I mean that must it must have been mind blowing to see this when you saw it, and I mean Bob obviously it was mind blowing for you because it was your first computing experience. But I imagine, it, by, I mean, that sounds way ahead of its time in the '70s.
5: Oh, oh, it was no. My first computing experience was like on a teletype. When I saw like a bit mapped graphics display in you know 1979, I'm like, whoa, baby, and and like not just one but a room full of them. You know they were all like hooked up to some cdc mainframe or something and they had like rooms full of them at the education department of u of d
2: Was
6: well, so so uh, the I... my, my, my first bitmap display was at bell labs in 1973 and that's, that's not when i was working that's when my other brother was working there but they had these plasma plasma displays and they were flat, you know. So you look at the front; it's very cool. You look at the back, and it's the same thing. It was just a screen. You could see both sides. The orange glow. Yeah,
2: it's the orange glow. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they. Sure. He, he, you're, Bob, you're going to really love this book, and I'm sure you're going to. They, David Graper at the University of Delaware plays a, 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 a an important role in the book. But the the book is very well researched and well written, which I feel is like unusual <laughs> just in general. Um, and it's been I don't
5: I don't remember the name, but he he might be one of the people who was like chasing me out of the room, saying, "What are you high school kids doing?"
2: <laughs> well, so it's funny. This is why you're really going to like the book because that's a real theme of the book. Is all the high schoolers at in both Delaware and in Illinois that are exposed to computing via via Plato and how they are having to like sneak time onto these systems and you know all the hijinks and they talked about one lab where people would go into the, they would hide in the physically hide in the lab and wait for it to be closed so they could get compute time. Um,
5: oh yeah, all all of that was going on for sure.
2: And so, did you? I gotta ask. Did you play Empire or Aviator? Is that the other one? What's the other one? Aviator. I don't know what the other. No,
5: no, I was. I was all about writing my own lessons. I wrote. <laughs> I, wrote I wrote my own lessons for, uh, like on crazy stuff, like you know how to hack the elevators in in Smith Hall. Oh my
2: god! Oh my god! It,
5: it, just crazy, nutty stuff.
2: So, do you? Have- because I think one of the things that's that's been it's tough in the book is that a lot of this stuff is just lost because their storage was so finite that things would oh, just get I have deleted. I
5: have from before like 10 years after that.
2: Yeah, so, wow. And so Bob, you wrote in Tutor then, right? That was the language. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about Tutor, because there's not like a lot on you kind of mentioned Tutor, but like what's the analog to Tutor today? It seems like a very Educate me
5: on
0: Twitter.
5: Uh, I mean, I'm not like a language compiler guy, like I heard all you guys on the call, so I'm probably not going to do justice to that question. But I mean, at at that point, my only computer language experience was basic, you know, line ten print line, t- you know, blah blah, um, and, and it, you know, like Dartmouth, blah blah, on the deck mini computer, but but it it um i don't know was it object oriented i don't even remember
2: it from all the snapshots i can find it i'm like i don't see how you build anything powerful in this language and yet people built very powerful things i do not understand it i would like to understand it a it looks like basic and snowball had a baby it just looks very strange to me but the, this is a, it's also like it, it's it's kind of in that pre-C class of languages that just look antediluvian to the modern eye. And I, but clearly, it's incredibly powerful because people built lots of interesting things in it.
5: Well, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy different time because, you know, you're on computers with so few resources. I mean, you know, you didn't have, like, all the memory and stuff. You know, n- nobody was talking about, like, garbage collection or anything because you had to, you know... Just love every precious weight you had
2: Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that that came out in it has come out in so many of our conversations in On the Metal and our the Oxide podcast is how much those resource constraints uh, resulted in creativity. And I, I think that, like, actually, we do our our more creative engineering when we have those constraints. Certainly, I don't know, Adam, I, I don't know how. You feel I certainly feel that at Oxide, where we are dealing with some embedded systems that have got very tight constraints and have to be very creative as a result. Um, but it's amazing what was done on this. And so, Bob, you're going to love this book. You, the, 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 you are going to just – because the, the book is about not just the technical advances of Plato, but then about the all the social dynamic of this kind of – primordial internet and how you know people are publishing online for the first time it's 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 really really interesting
1: brian on that topic this david graper have you stumbled across his blog that started in 1977
2: no i haven't <laughs> i i've only oh, i haven't even googled is it
1: i i have fallen all the way down this rabbit hole
2: uh, <laughs> oh my god is that where you've been for the last 20 minutes oh my god
1: it, it's it's some of his anti-war stuff it is it is it is there's it's deep it's deep it's great it's gonna be in the show notes for sure but it's on grapenotes.com um and it's stuff that he was writing on the play-doh in in the late 70s early 80s it's, it's pretty interesting
2: well that's great that actually because it's great that that's been preserved because they are the one of the again the persistent themes is they've got such a finite amount of storage they're constantly like deleting things and then when they delete these things there are no hard copies and they're just gone and so there was this news service, effectively that was run for. And Bob, maybe you remember this, run out of the U of I for two years in the late '70s. That was like it for news, and it was this like first online news. And they're like they're scooping the 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 the, uh, the paper, the the Illini paper there at the U of I, and then but they were they're constantly having to delete articles to make room. So so it's GrapeNotes.com, <laughs> Adam.
1: Uh, yeah, Grape Notes. But th- this Great. is Dr. David Graper, right? Yes,
2: that's it. Oh, just, I got. it. Sure. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, we'll have to go. We'll, we'll have to go check it out. Well, the the yeah. and Bob, you're gonna have to check out the uh, this book. And uh, t- so, Tom, did your br- did your brother end up actually doing anything on the plane now? or did? It, w-
6: no, they were just there. I don't think he ever did much with him. So.
2: Okay. Because I would love it. It would be interesting to kind of compare and contrast the Plato experience with the Xerox Park Alto experience, which I gather was a similar kind of like Tom. You've described it as like all of a sudden I'm looking into the future. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to kind of compare and contrast those two experiences.
6: Yeah, that. Uh, I mean, the Alto was much more of what we believe it to be—a computer. The, the Plato thing was a terminal. In a time-
2: was a terminal? Yeah. Well, and I think it, it kind of goes back to like the, the, the where we were talking about earlier in terms of I do feel that like and I'm excited to kind of finish this book up and get Brian Deer's perspective on it. But Plato was very, very centralized, and you do wonder if that was part of the, you know, the internet took off because it was decentralized mm-hmm. that and it couldn't have worked if it had been centralized. Uh, by the way, so Plato
6: was
4: at- vector that-
2: graphics? Was Alto pixels or vectors?
6: No, Plato was pixels
2: yeah but Plato's well, bit uh, mapped.
6: physically pixels, but I don't know what the programming model was.
2: The programming model is very, very like it's very coordinate based. It is not vector based anyway,
6: from what I, I can know, see they of tutors, and they have quite a few Plato manuals about the hardware and stuff so.
2: And I'm sure there's going to be a um, when we do systems we love in Minneapolis. I was hoping to get a, a a Plato talk. This is before the the book was published. Now of course the book is and the book is very is well documented and there's so many notes in there. Um, and Bob, you are gonna if you go to the acknowledgments of this book, you are absolutely gonna see people you knew because uh, the, he has clearly spoken with so many people who use the system.
5: I'm gonna get the book for sure. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I said I know you have to come back and tell us what you think and, and expand will, on it with with, with with some stories. So I, we've been we've been trying to hold this to about an hour. So um, I think we will probably wind it up here before we uh, before Twitter Spaces dies on me again. Adam, did we get, I hope we got a recording of this.
1: The, uh, we definitely the the this part, which was the gold part, rather than me just you know rereading the go statement on asserts over and over again. This this part, I'm pretty sure we got. Um, <laughs> All right. And and uh, but I, so this has been awesome. And I'd say next week. Should we plug uh, Silicon Cowboys? Is that the plan?
2: Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, I think the plan is to talk about Silicon Cowboys next week. So um, the um, Silicon Cowboys is a documentary. If you tried to watch Halt and Catch Fire. So Halt and Catch Fire, I wanted to sit down and watch Halt and Catch Fire. I talked my 13-year-old into watching it with me. Um but a lot of sex was breaking out in Halt and Catch Fire. It got to the point, like, in, you know, we're not, I'm not like, sorry, prudish with my, my, my 13-year-old definitely knows the birds and the bees. But he's definitely like, we got a couple episodes in. He's like, Dad, can we watch something else? Just a lot of sex in this. I'm like, there is a lot of sex in this supposed drama about a computer company. Like, a lot of sex breaks out. Um, and the Halt and Catch Fire is based on the rise of Compaq, which is captured in this documentary called Silicon Cowboys, which Adam, I gather you watched it over yeah, the weekend. Yeah, it was
1: it was awesome, and it wasn't great. It, yeah, it was good. So if you love *Halt and Catch Fire*, but hate sex,
2: <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Um, or if you want to watch *Halt and Catch Fire* with your kids, um, and the I, I thought it was better than *Halt and Catch Fire* in part because it's all true. The story of Compaq is amazing, but uh, we'll plug that. <laughs> and if people want to watch that, we'll we'll talk about that next time, yeah. among other things.
5: I, I got to come back next week now because I can tell you about my time at Compaq
2: yes oh there you go that's a good teaser god bob you just delivered the goods (laughs) all right you got you have to come back and tell us about Compaq. um another another quick plug is to read rod canyon's book um called open on i mean i think Compaq's a really interesting company and bob you're gonna have to give us your take when you come back will do
3: also one last comment on spaces and go spaces is written
2: in go
0: so we have to give go that much credit
2: (laughs) Well, maybe is it possible that we're being like punished when the, we, we are speaking ill of the God King, so then the, the, and a, and a, an assertion is tripping somewhere, and we are done. I'm yeah, sure it's looking for Brian Cantrell assertions.
3: specifically and people who have criticized the Twitter stack when it was in Ruby.
2: <laughs> there you go. Sounds right. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, everybody. A lot. Uh, I hope to see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks.